edition of Under the Floorboards, where we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night. I am your host, John, joined as always by my beautiful co-host, Eric. Eric, how are you this week? Fucking fabulous. Dude. Keeping these floors fucking clean of blood, and there is a massacre coming with our new director and guest today. Give it up for Mark Cantu! Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm definitely happy to be here. Uh, we are so excited to have you. Um, you, uh, you know, you pleasure is definitely ours. Yeah, you have. You have uh, actually, we just. Yeah, mind. <laughs> well, we just spoke with uh, Spencer Madison last week. So if you guys haven't listened to that episode yet, I don't know why you're jumping around and not listening to it in order. But that's completely up to you, I guess. Um, so if you want that first little sneak peek of Wolf Hollow, it's in there. But we're gonna mm-hmm. get down to the nitty gritty here in our Patreon exclusive uh, interview after this episode and we'll give a little bit of a teaser you know we were talking about butts and seats a minute ago yeah. so that that's the real goal of this um but mark uh your pick was david cronenberg's some call masterpiece the fly i would agree i, I would agree it's, it's definitely his 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 uh like i said his magnum opus in, in my personal humble opinion so <laughs> you know, as a director and writer, I think it's <laughs> I think it's very comfortable for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so yeah, what, I, I'm, yeah. What what brought you into picking this one? Um, so first and foremost, and I was having a conversation with uh, with some friends of mine a while back, actually, is I'm a huge fan. I mean, obviously, practical effects are a major part of my life. I mean, I grew up in the fucking 80s, so um, <laughs> everything that I saw had practical effects. Um, but I think the fly, first and foremost, was probably the upper echelon. Besides this and the thing, are are two of the the biggest projects where I've ever just watched and just gone, how the hell did they do that? What the hell? Like how? Did, just trying to figure out the mechanics of it all. But then the thing that kind of beats it out for between the thing and and the fly is the fly has this really emotional human core. Um, and the thing is, is a classic for a reason. It's got a lot of paranoia and everything else. But to me, like you could almost kind of strip the fly down to just like a basic stage play. Cause it really just takes place in Brundle's apartment. And that's kind of about it. <laughs> um, but in and of itself, it's, it's just like human drama. And then you start to realize that like Stathis kind of starts off as an asshole. And by the end of the movie, you know, you feel complete pity for him and he's kind of the hero and Brundle has gone the exact opposite way. And he's like morphed into the villain. And you're like, wh- like, you don't know exactly where you end up emotionally at the end of the movie. And it's really complicated. And I fucking love that. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, there, there's definitely, I will say, I don't find a lot of sympathy for characters that I hate right off the bat. So it's, <laughs> it's a little harder for me. To... I'm pretty sure my boy committed like three felonies. In this movie. <laughs> It's fine. It's all good. St- was an absolute HR fucking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. Even by 80s standards, you're just like, this needs trouble. This needs so much trouble. So uh, getting into it, Eric, do you want to go ahead and give us our itinerary Let's for jump this? jump into it, yeah. Like I said, 1986, this is David Cronenberg uh, directing this one. Screenplay was uh, Cronenberg, Charles Edward Pogue, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, the credited producer for this is Stuart Kornfeld, but Mel Brooks also had a hand in this one, which was interesting to me. Um, yep. Howard, Howard Shore picking up the score for this one, which is awesome. And it's, of course, based on, I guess you can call it a remake, even of though it's a, yeah. uh, it's a complete yeah. restructuring of like in a concept that was the movie in 58, which is also based on a short story, if I'm not mistaken, by George Langland. 
So, yeah, clocking in in a minute, uh, one hour, 36 minutes. Cast list is nice and short because this is my least favorite part. So this is awesome. <laughs> uh, Jeff Goldblum coming in as uh, Seth Brundle. Gina Davis is Veronica. Qu- um, I'm not going to pronounce that one right, so I'm not even going to try. And I heard John- Quaif. That's what it there is. There you go. Okay, <laughs> nice. All right. Thanks, man. <laughs> John Getz is Stathis Borens. And uh, a couple of ancillary characters, and we're here. So, I mean, this really is. I think Abortion you Doctor it, One. Yeah, the Larvas <laughs> himself. Um, yeah. Obviously, like this movie coming out of the 80s. Uh, some of this is, you know, some of our first times watching it. I've, I've seen this one before. I've, I've only watched part of the, uh, 58 a handful of times. It was a little hard for me to get through when I was younger. I'll be very honest. Oh, yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was your first impression when you watched this movie? Like what, what did you feel? Cause obviously there's something that kind of transcends there with what you do now. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the things that stood out for me, like I said, when I was a kid, um, was just the level of brutality between this and kind of like RoboCop. That's 86, 87. Like there was, okay, you know, we're going to watch slasher movies and we're going to watch, you know, teens get killed and things like that. Between this and RoboCop, those were the two movies that stood out to me where it was like, oh, these effects actually affect people and they fucking hurt and it's brutal. And it's like, (laughs) it pushed the level of violence. But I mean, obviously like The Fly... It has to be brutal because, again, you've got that really nice little monologue that, that Brundle has in the middle of the movie where he's like, insects are fucking brutal. Like, they, mm-hmm. they have no remorse. We're going to fucking take it all the way to the end and we're going to fucking destroy you. And it's it, it was one thing that, like I said, it, it was the unflinching, like, just unwillingness to forgive anything. Yeah. Um, and to see him kind of go – and I, I think even when I was a kid, you realize even in the lighting of the movie – that it carries over that way because the lighting of the movie, like I was pointing out to my wife, we were watching it a while back. I was like, if you, if you look at the movie, it starts off very soft lit on one side and it's very, very not glamorous, but it's very mm-hmm. soft and comforting. Um, when, when, uh, Seth and, and Veronica are kind of talking in the apartment for the first couple of scenes, it's all very nice sidelight. And then by the end of the movie, that goes away and his apartment starts to have like shafts of light in it. And it's kind of harder edged blues and blacks and the shadows are a little bit deeper. And so you start to see that even the environment starts to become more and more uncomfortable and brutal. And I, I like the fact that you can see that even in just like the, the cinematography in the movie. So that was the first thing that ever stood out to me as a kid. I was like, there's something else going on here that I can't quite put my finger on. And as I got older and I understand film a bit better. I'm like, oh, they've changed, you know, how they're shooting things. They're changing the presentation mm-hmm. of the set. They're so it's it was little stuff like that that really stood out to me even when I was a kid. And I feel like when you have a movie that is, I don't want to call it low to the ground because obviously it's flying high, but it's one of those things. Where, yeah, Ao did it. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is one of those things where like you have a limited cast. Like ultimately, you really have three characters. You know, so it's like, how do you play with the dimensions that are around that? And that's something that Cronenberg did really well in this movie. Um, yeah, and that was kind of my first impression. Was this was the first technical monster movie that I had mm-hmm. watched because it was one of those things where people didn't, you know, people like Freddie and Jason and all that. They're considered slashers, even sure. though in my head they're fucking monsters. But this right. this was the first like creature monster feature that I got to watch. You know, this was my pre uh, American werewolf in London and the thing and stuff like that. So I fell in love with this movie the first time I watched it. Cause it was like, as 
it took me a minute to get into it, and then like the baboon inside out, I was just yeah, like, yeah. oh, <laughs> like, oh, we're going that far. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, but yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie, man. Uh, last night was my first time watching this movie. <laughs> so wow. I've, I've Welcome popped, to it. <laughs> I bought my cherry and we're here. Um, it, it's, it, I guess I have the advantage of looking at it from the perspective that I have. And that's that the practical effects, there is no doubt in my mind that the Oscar for makeup and hairstyling that um, this movie won was so well-deserved because the practical effects hold up so well. Mm-hmm. I am not a... Um, squeamish person per se but there were there were moments in that movie where i was genuinely like holy shit like you know there and then we're we're taking it in the context of 1986 too so like we're thinking coming off of return of the jedi (laughs) you know and we have shit like this you mentioned robocop is another good example of that as well um it just strikes me how well they told this story with you know the what they were trying to create with from an effect standpoint um, and I was really, really impressed by all of it. I mean, I think the acting performances were fantastic for what they were. The writing, there are so many quotable moments from this movie. Um, Gina Davis you know, is so hot. Yeah, Gina <laughs> Davis is so hot. Um, and there, there's just a lot to love about it. Just from a first, first impression standpoint, I think I'm with you guys and that you just are kind of in awe of how much there is to love about this movie. So uh, He did tell me this morning that he was uh, trying to make sure that he kept reminding himself that he was only throwing up milk and honey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a uh, sympathetic vomiter. Let's put it that way. So. Yeah, uh, my wife has the same reflex, and I'm just like we were we were literally watching it the other day, and I think we got to the point where where Stathis has his hand dissolved, and I was like, look away in three, two, one. Now go ahead. Yeah. Look away. Look away. Look away. Close your ears. Close your ears. Don't. Um, yeah, you know what? And it's so funny that like. The movie itself, because I I have a thing with hands and stuff like that, like losing hands, and I'm just like, uh, and this is one of the ones that gets to me. Sure. Oh, the but, bar yeah. scene, yeah. <laughs> and it's so, but again, you, you stop and think, like some of those effects are they hold up so well, and they're so simple, like yeah. the 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 wrist gag with the guy in the bar. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things. Like if you watch the documentaries on it, it's like they forgot that gag. They were like, oh shit, we have to fucking do this thing, and it's literally just a steel plate on the guy's hand over some fake skin. So when he just pivots his hand, it breaks the skin and that's it. And you're like, are you fucking kidding? Like, that's it. That's the solution. (laughs) (laughs) And it works so well, but it, but it comes down to performance as well. And it comes down to not just being a gag. It's like, Oh, you have to sell it in, in terms of acting as well. And, and I think that's what this movie does better than, than most movies in the eighties. So. I think that's I think that's definitely a fair statement. And, you know, like, let's let's get into the fly, man. Um, So we start off with, uh, as some of our listeners will know, um, our least favorite thing, which is heterosexual flirting. Um, (laughs) It's terrible. It's it's awkward. And like we've all been there. And we start off with like this very uh, eccentric Jeff Goldblum, which yeah. he plays these characters very well. Jeff and, Goldblum as himself. Yeah. <laughs> we, right. And actually, when I started watching this movie, uh, you know, I had kind of given my partner the rundown of what it's about. She walks into the room, and obviously, this is a very young, very doe-eyed Jeff mm. Goldblum, and she goes, "Oh, no wonder they had him be the fly. He looks like a fly." <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he's already kind of got that slightly alien quality about him the moment you meet him, and you're like, he's kind of just slightly on the periphery of society in general, and you're like, okay, I, I can see where this is going to go. But he's a little suave. Like, he's, it, he's it's kind of got Yeah, exactly. And he's like, he's using that eccentricity the way I would imagine the real Jeff Goldblum does in real life. Where he's like, I'm going <laughs> to use my eccentricity to my advantage, and I'm going to woo the shit out of you. And then yeah. Gina Davis, of course, goes, uh, yeah, let's let's go back to your apartment. Cool. Let's totally. go to your apartment for science. <laughs> science, bro. Exactly. And there, there, she drops that line too when they're in the car ride, and she, you know she's talking about she's never heard of him before. She's like, "You're not a very accomplished doctor, are you?" <laughs> He's like, "I used to throw up on my yeah. tricycle." <laughs> and it like. For me, uh, you know, I'm a big Doctor Who fan, and this line kind of hit me when they first walk into the apartment. She goes, oh, it's cleaner on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> nice little TARDIS reference there. So Yeah, it, you know, it, it was very uh, it was very cheeky, you know, their relationship kind of walking into he, it. He does this thing that, like, struck me as a guitar player. Um, like, he does the thing when you bring a girl home for the first time and there's an instrument in the living room where he immediately starts playing it. <laughs> right. What you're, what I'm capable of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he starts playing uh, love is a many splendid thing, which mm -hmm. I thought was kind of cool. And then just kind of like starts dropping into these minor chords. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know if this was intentional from Cronenberg. And the only reason I say this is because he feels like, and I, I got this a lot in this movie was it felt very rushed to me. Like every scene felt like it was more anticipatory of the body horror to come as opposed yeah. to kind of doing a little bit more world building. And maybe that would have slowed the movie down and made it feel, you know, a different pace to it. I can't really attest to that. Like, um, yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was just one of those things to me where him playing that line and going into the minor chords when they're having like this very awkward flirting conversation mm -hmm. now, because like Jeff Goldblum is still spitting game <laughs> to the best of his ability. But it's he spits almost... the whole movie until he turns. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, that scene almost felt like an illusion for what the movie was going to be, was we're going to start off there's with, like... There's a dissension, right? Yeah, yeah there's yeah. this love story that you commented yeah. on and, like, this cerebral humanist aspect of it, and then it drops into being the monster. Like, do you think that was something that was intentional? Listening to, to those types of breakdowns of scenes like that, like I said, it, it's completely... That's what I feel as well, because one of the things that's important to me as a filmmaker is you kind of have to announce your thesis in a way. Like you have to kind of put your statement right up front and go, mm -hmm. this is where we're going to go. And <laughs> really smart, really informed directors know how to do that without letting you know that they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so to me, Cronenberg, that's his kind of way of just showing you, I'm just going to give you a little bit of foreshadowing. Like I'm going to give you just a, an appetizer of where this is all going to go and the roadmap of everything, but I'm not going to be blatant about it. And so if you watch their progression, it is that kind of because the whole movie is about decay and, and even Cronenberg's entire career is about body decay. And body <laughs> horror. So, I mean, it's it's possible that his brain is, you know, kind of already descending into that stuff, too. At that point. <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's definitely uh, I wouldn't like I said, I I never heard him express that, but I, I wouldn't put it past someone as brilliant as Cronenberg to be able to do that and go, yeah, that's what I'm doing. For sure. Like one of the things that uh, you mentioned it, the way the details, the way the details are set in this movie is 
it doesn't require you to pick up on them to have a good time to understand the plot. But if right. you are paying attention, they're there for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that, yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, one of my favorite way to watch any kind of movie is like, I don't, I don't like it when a movie just assumes that I'm stupid and, and straight up explains yeah. it to me. Um, but there's plenty of like, I, I love, you know, as being like, you know, we're big comic book nerds. So one of our favorite things is Easter eggs, you know? So right. it was like, <laughs> uh, with uh, Spencer, we reviewed uh, Halloween 2, and when we watched Halloween 1, originally, when I saw it when I was 17, my favorite thing about that movie was the fact that Daniel Harris was in it. So that's like, I love stuff where it's just right. hidden in plain sight and, like, information and, like, kind of being a part of this world. And like you were saying, like, Cronenberg is a genius for stuff like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, And then <laughs> – we get to a little bit more heterosexual flirting into him, like showing the the fancy phone booth, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. she put it. The, the tart eye. <laughs> She's like, right. Give me something that's special to you, and she just pulls off her pantyhose, and I was like, they're gonna fuck in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they haven't already fucked outside of the movie, they're gonna fuck right. in the movie for sure yeah. by this point. Yeah. It was a long car ride home. <laughs> right. right. And of course we have, you know, our first uh, instance of what are you a magician? And like, that just yeah. felt like the reoccurring joke throughout the entire movie is just like Jeff Goldblum is this magician. And I was like, well, he did make your panties disappear. So yeah. 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 <laughs> but then we have this awkward moment where, you know, we, the first time I watched it, you know, I mean, the the second time watching it, you know that, like, they have this conversation. But at first, you know, at first glance, she, like, turns the recorder on while they're talking. And you think it's going to be this really slick scene. Subtle, yeah. And, of course, she's like, no, I'm totally recording all of this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The way we've seen that this relationship is going to progress, why do you think that this wasn't, like, a turn for them not being together like because you feel like this scene is really important because she's about to bring all of this information to particle magazine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's 80s cheese i get it i love it yeah. uh, but like why do you think that that relationship was still able to develop because i gotta tell you if somebody had taken my life's work that i wasn't done with <laughs> and just plastered it somewhere i would be fucked up over that yeah, i'd be yeah. super fucked up over that so like what what do you think made it so that he could progress that relationship more uh t- to me honestly the way i kind of read the movie is sta- uh, not status but seth at that point i mean is is pretty alone like he is socially awkward he's a, so i feel like veronica kind of yeah, she's going to leak this stuff. But more importantly, there's a glimmer of she kind of believes in what I'm doing. She understands on some basic level and she can appreciate what I might be able to accomplish. And I think that's the important thing in any romantic relationship where it's like you just get that sliver of I don't quite know everything that you're capable of, but I can see the potential in you. And that's enough for me to continue pushing this forward in terms of a relationship and i feel like veronica and seth have that bond almost immediately mm-hmm. and so he's he's obviously smitten with her physically and he's, he's he's physically attracted to her but there's a different she's not necessarily going to she's probably seen a thousand scientists at this point mm-hmm. but he is 
above and beyond just a bit better than the rest of them. And even he's got a bit of an arrogance to him. He's like, and I know that I am, you know, mm-hmm. in this weird social setting, like I'm a fucking rock star. I just haven't been heard yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think he, it's like the first reporter finding the Rolling Stones and it's just like, we're going to be big. Don't fucking worry about it. You know? And I, and I feel like that's their relationship is that he's like, if I just let her stay with me, she can chronicle how I became a fucking genius, you know? So it's going to be his Yoko Ono is yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and obviously, you know, this being the eighties, she was not believed that, you know, cause she brings the uh, recorder to Stathis mm-hmm. and Stathis is just kind of like, so you got had by a magician again, woman. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, Oh, right. <laughs> oh God. And of course, yeah. and it's so funny because like Jeff Goldblum comes up to save the day, and like yeah. he's just like, "I'll leave the office to you too." <laughs> <laughs> this guy. <laughs> well, because Gina Davis, like one thing that I really loved about Veronica's character was she was kind of written as a bad bitch. Mm-hmm. Like she was not like she almost felt like Lois Lane esque, where like she right. was she was getting in the midst of the story. She was trying to make sure that the importance of it was getting out. And even like in that conversation, she had said to uh, Dr. Seth, he, w- he was like, well, you know, I'm glad that, you know, he didn't believe you. And you just think I'm a magician for some stupid fucking reason. She was just kind of like, yep, yeah, but we'll see what this other magazine has to say about it. And I was like, God damn it, girl, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> Stop pushing the fucking problems. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And I, I love the fact, like I said, that Gina Davis, she's not written like a like a shrinking violet in, in the movie. Like she is in the middle of all of it. And to me, like I said, everybody is complicated in the movie. Like everyone's motives are kind of kind of obscured just a little bit. Sometimes you, you mm-hmm. think you kind of know what their angle is and then you don't. And so and it continues that way throughout the rest of the movie and as people kind of get pushed to extremes. But, yeah, she's definitely not a shrinking violet in the movie in, in, in any stretch. She definitely made me miss cigarettes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, fuck that. She's still smoking in the house. <laughs> probably. Probably. It's an apartment. They're yeah. just going to paint over it anyways. <laughs> it, well, so I guess, like, the most important thing that I have to ask you for this next scene, Mark, is what makes the perfect cheeseburger? Perfect cheeseburger. Um, it's got to be not burnt, but it's got to have a, a good amount of flavor in there and tons of just drippy, gooey cheese. That's that's got to be it. So, <laughs> uh, a, a man of simplicity. Yeah. I, I respect exactly. that. Yeah. Cheeseburger. I want to be able to taste everything. I don't need to gussy it up with all these other things on it. Like, no, no, no. Just give me grilled flavor and cheese and I will be content. Yeah, you guys, hold your avocado. I don't need that shit on my burger. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Maybe a bit of bacon, but that's about it. But honestly, like, I was born in Texas, so I'm like, everything was just simple. Like, on the grill, put some cheese on it, and we're done. Which part of Texas? Uh, San Antonio. So I'm from Marble Falls. No shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, you're, the only reason I can say that to you is because you're one of ten people in this world that know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was born and raised my entire life. Like I said, we moved up to uh, to Pittsburgh probably end of 2017 or uh, end of 2016. So, yes, yeah, so we've been up here about six, seven years already. But, yeah, I, I miss burgers. So, yeah. <laughs> that real Southern cooking. My, my uh, uncle was actually the DA for San Antonio for a while. He said he had to stop because he just saw too many dead bodies. <laughs> they fucking did. Wow. 
No shit. I'm glad you survived San Antonio, so that we can Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the importance of this scene is, you know, uh, we kind of establish now that, like, cheeseburgers are the bridge that really, like, bring people together. Uh, not only on I'll a... I'll go on a date with anybody that wants to have burgers. <laughs> I was like, it's yeah. not only on a professional level, but on a sexual level as well. Yeah. Um, and it was... <laughs> because we, we go from, like, zero to ten yeah, yeah. on this next one. Yeah. Uh, the, the cool thing about this sequence, too, is that we highlight that only inanimate objects can be teleported at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah. Um, right. And he, it's one of those, like, what happens to living objects? Not while we're eating. <laughs> <laughs> the bun's actually between the two patties. <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah. That'd be terrible. Oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> Oh, shit. Okay. Um, But, yeah, really the only uh, subsequent scene in between is uh, we have – we really clarify the fact that Stathis and uh, Veronica have had a – I want to call it an intimate relationship because they were having sex, but Stathis doesn't seem like an intimate human. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a very power-hungry dynamic there where it's just like, look, I'm your – editor or I'm you know I'm definitely above you and I'm gonna take my and take advantage of this and I feel like that kind of informs Veronica to a certain extent where it's like she probably had a series of those guys over the entire course of her young career that are just guys just looking to fuck her over and she's had enough of it and she's gonna take her career and her life into her own hands and Stathis is kind of sees it as a bit of a challenge and he's like all right I'll, I'll fucking play ball. Let's go. I'm Let's still going to get that. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's such a dick thing, like, way later, like, when he pops up in her apartment, he's, like, still playing that game. You're like, come on, dude. Like, are you fucking kidding me? The the power game that you're playing, it's just, it's insane, so. He's gaslighting her. I mean, he was telling her why he still had her key. Right. Right, exactly. Her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it, it's such a, like I said, it's such a dick move on his part, and, like, to take a shower in somebody else's apartment. That's just like <laughs> fucking really dude. And he's like, what are you gonna do about it? What are you going to do about it? You're not going to get like rid planned, of me. He planned that shit, right? He orchestrated <laughs> that. Right. Set and he was like, this is absolutely the only way I want this to go down. <laughs> and you know what? I feel like that's probably like, he wouldn't have done that had she not brought Seth into the equation. Because that was one thing where he's like, I'm going to hold on this key. And the next time she goes and has sex with somebody or starts dating somebody, I'm going to play this fucking card. (laughs) And so then at that point, he's like, you know what? I think it's the shower move. Let's go ahead and do that (laughs) today. You know? Oh, he's actually over there? Cool. I'm going to come in with like six bags of groceries. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, babe. How's it going? It's clean. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I feel like Stathis is the kind of person that uses the word cervix in public in a non, like, (laughs) in a non-medical way. (laughs) He just says speculum really loudly at some point. He just says, what? What are you talking about, dude? Don't worry about it. I'm a scientist. I was I was showing the new uh, Hellraiser to my partner, and there's I, I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, um, but I haven't. Yeah, yeah, it's actually pretty good. I do recommend it. Uh, they definitely take some liberties with the lore, but in the same way that they do in Fede Alvarez's Evil Dead, which honestly I yeah. thought was tasteful. Um, but there's a scene where the the hooks come out against this girl, and it peels her entire back off. And I was like, oh, my God, they blew her fucking back out. She was like, you are never allowed to say that again. <laughs> That's terrible. 
It's okay. She's never going to listen to this. So. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. All right. Uh, but anyways, yeah. get, getting back into, you know, just the fact that, like, this dude is, like, power playing her so oh, hard. Which is funny. She, like, goes over to the desk and starts smoking a cigarette and just starts doing her own thing. Like he's, he, he has done homework on Seth at this point, too. <laughs> he's like, no, this guy, he, he led the F-32 team. He was on the, like, uh, you know, super close to a Nobel Prize, which I'm not buying because part of me believes that, like, um, Gina Davis is scared. Veronica, is that right? Yes. You call her Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Ronnie. Ronnie yeah. is at these like science parties, meeting all of these science people. You would think that somebody who was on the verge of a Nobel Prize would be like a household name in this community of people. Uh, I, I don't know how the submission process works for that, but it's just one of those things for me. Not I was a like, scientist. Know. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I agree with that. Maybe like I said, it's somebody she probably would she probably would have had some sort of inkling that he's he's around or kind of in the at ether somewhere but yeah, at least yeah. passing right but right that's yeah. not important that's me nitpicking and i love doing that so that's what I do. <laughs> you <laughs> son of a bitch i'm here to review a movie <laughs> so she comes back they've you know agreed to do the the filming of this project and right. now we have my favorite scene in yes, the movie because <laughs> it was just like yes, sir. The, way Cro- the way cronenberg set this special effect up was fucking incredible and it was the first time that i really kind of seen this kind of animatronic in a movie and it was uh you know we meet was there a name for baboon one no that was that no i can't remember i don't think that there is yeah okay because we know he has a brother too so we're just making sure for his baboon budget that he's keeping it on track (laughs) Do you think he was detailed? Sorry, I asked him this question earlier, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Do you think Cronenberg is detail-oriented enough that he would, br- like, get two baboons? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you think, he, like, the baboon budget like we brought up, is that, you know, is there an extra? We looked it up. It's, like, roughly $3,000 to rent a baboon. No, it's 3500 and up. And up, okay. So it's based on the quality of the baboon. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to need 10 on standby. Just, yeah. <laughs> Outside. <laughs> Having said that, is there a baboon audition? Is there just like a, a waiting room of like 20 baboons? Just all just like, well, I hope I get it. I know. Do they have their own tier list? Like, is there, a, you know what They're I mean? They're putting yeah. rouge right. on their ass. <laughs> <laughs> this one's too red. This one's too blue. And this one, yeah. <laughs> the one baboon doesn't get it and just like goes and purges in the bathroom afterwards. It's like, I'm never going to be a star. <laughs> is compact at the wall <laughs> i would pay to see that sequel let's let's where's that Cronenberg? come on dude get on it so, so obviously our baboon budget was pretty high for this movie predicated yeah. on the fact that you know we actually had multiple baboons yeah because i i do think that's interesting to think that like he's so worried about some cinephile come up and be like no that's the same baboon <laughs> He's put a mustache not. on him. He's got a brother. He's, no, he's different. He's got a brother. He's a mustache. This is Boone. <laughs> this is too immersion breaking. I can't even finish right, this movie. Right. Right. I'm out, guys. I'm, I'm out. I can't. Uh, this is no. Sorry. So we have, you know, her filming the, and I love the way that it teleports. I love the lightning in a bottle effect yeah, that yeah. he has. 
predicate and then like just followed by the smoke and steam and all that kind of stuff that was straight up back to the future for me yeah like, that's exactly what it was and this was honestly the first scene especially when i was younger watching this this was the first scene that was like visceral mm-hmm. not even just the effect but Je- jeff goldblum's or seth's character coming up to that port window and just getting the and the, the smear. Little, yeah oh my <laughs> And you're like, this is not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, Cronenberg is, I mean, obviously by that point in his career, I mean, he's done Scanners, he's done mm-hmm. uh, Shivers and a bunch of other stuff at that point. So you know what he's capable of completely, yeah. like, uh, on every level. And you're just like, and so there's a, there's a built-in for me personally, because um, by this point, and again, tells you what kind of fucked up childhood I had. I'd already seen Scanners by this point. So I was just oh, like, yeah. <laughs> so you knew what was kind of like, I know what this dude's wheelhouse is. So there's a built-in kind of sense of like, I'm waiting for the, the other shoe to drop here. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know when it's going to happen. And the moment you see that little bloody stump kind of hit the, the window, you're like, here it comes. Jesus Christ. I have to steal myself for this. And, and again, like he said, he pays it off so well with such a beautiful animatronic. Like that puppet is fucking gross. And the sound effect and everything else, like it's just gut-wrenching. And, and you feel pain and you feel pity for that fucking thing you're like what the hell did this little baboon never do to anybody else you know (laughs) and i think it's funny too that like just looking at it and this is really a testament to cronenberg is when you watch it the first time and you see it your first thought is that this is inside out like it is it is like it 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 explained itself with that effect and that's so cool that's so yeah. cool. Like we we did explain it later a little bit when he's actually like in the interview and he's like, well, you know, I made a baboon go inside out. She was like, well, why do you think that is? Probably because I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you thinking right now? Fuck, Fuck is, is what, what I'm thinking, thinking right now. <laughs> My career is fucking over is where I'm at. So. Not the first scientist to kill something. So, you know, six of one, whatever. His brother's in a cage in the other room that just watched this happen. I've got to explain it to him later. (laughs) Or you ever stop and think about it? How close is the cage to what they actually saw? And the other baboon in the cage just goes, no, we're good. And just like fucking checks himself out. He's like, you know what? We're done. We're done. I will not be ordering the same thing. <laughs> it's, the, it's the weirdest trigger warning ever. <laughs> For all of our baboon listeners right now. It doesn't. We're, you're batting about 500. Yeah. The, the baboon community is going to be up in arms about this. So, yeah. you know. so we have this like kind of concept of the computer not giving a, sh- like not even like that it doesn't care, but that it doesn't understand the concept of flesh. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is where I start kind of, you know what I mean? I'm like, Oh, okay. This is how we're going to go with this. You know, I, I do mean? like the way that they chose to explain that though. Where yeah. He was like, we only teach the computers. So mm-hmm. the computers, computers only, yeah, yeah, they only know to do what we teach them. Mm-hmm. So we need to teach them flesh. And it's just like, right. I don't know how you do that because I don't know how computers or flesh work, <laughs> <laughs> or how I just know that I have it. Yeah, <laughs> but I love that. But again, that's a whole Cronenberg staple of you know enjoying the flesh and old flesh versus new flesh and mm-hmm. you know all that and just kind of like the moment that concept gets introduced into the movie, you're like, well, it has to do with the 
admiration of the flesh and understanding of the flesh. Like, here it goes. That's that's what that's the Cronenberg yeah. I'm waiting for. <laughs> yeah. And that's what makes it fucking perfect Cronenberg. Like anybody who wants to say if there's a movie that you can that epitomizes everything Cronenberg is about, this is it. This is mm-hmm. the, the upper actual this is the top tier, you know. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason I'm really excited to see Infinity Pool this year, because I think that that's going to be a lot of derivatives of like this culmination of him doing this mm-hmm. for so long. Yeah. And he has Mia Goth, so <laughs> it's got to be good. <laughs> there you go. You know what's funny? I, I don't know if you uh, – have you watched any of his son's stuff? I haven't. So I watched um, Possessor, and that was like okay. a year, year and a half ago. And that was kind of – it felt very – like – like his dad, obviously, like he's a Cronenberg as well, but it felt very preoccupied with the flesh and everything else. And I'm just like, man, like that whole family's just continuing that trajectory for it. So, so yeah, I, I thought it was really, it was an impressive movie. I think it was a little underwhelming, but I, it definitely in spots reminded me of the fly specifically. So sweet yeah well it's also like if you're going to go into body horror and it's not whether or not it's your dad or not, those are, yeah. that's a big role to fill because he's kind of the father of body horror mm-hmm. I, right and i don't think that there was like body horror in itself as a concept i at least from my opinion mm-hmm. didn't really exist before cronenberg i mean he was the first one to kind of make it visceral and juicy and like and kind of sexy at the exact same time and you're like <laughs> what am i fucking doing right now like i don't i don't get it so yeah, because like the other end of the spectrum of that to me is a little bit more of a bastardization when you look at stuff like Hostel, right? Where it's like right. the body horror is there, but it's it feels like it's a totally different concept in Cronenberg's is good. So, yeah. <laughs> where I think like I said, I think the big difference with movies like Hostel, um, like I said, it's just it's like porn. I mean, like, like it's that, oh, that yeah. porn thing, and it just feels fairly masturbatory, where it's just kind of like, yep. Yeah, we're just watching this just to get off on that. But things with Cronenberg, like there's an intellectual component to it that not a lot of other movies have. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that kind of gets you excited. And you're like, wow, there's a thousand other things going on here, not just the gory effect. And, you know, but but and, and that's what gives you that gut punch, in my yeah. estimation. <clears throat> totally. Because by the end of this, you feel awful for Seth. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. feel horrible. There's some real psychological elements at play, which is what's so interesting about movies like this for me. That's that mm-hmm. extra layer that I need where we're not just watching somebody get killed yeah. <laughs> or 17 right. people get killed or whatever the fuck. But like this, there's, yeah. this is the hill that I will die on is I love how much Eli Roth loves horror and I love how much he knows about the history of it. And I wish right. he would stop making movies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. He's not a a director as far as I'm concerned. Um, There are different categories for filmmakers for me. And like Cronenberg is an auteur and and other guys like Spielberg. And like I put him in that category. But people like Eli Roth, those are technicians to me. Like they're guys that enjoy the craft and the, the, the makeup and the rigging and all that stuff. And they can kind of shoot a sequence, but they're not invested in character they're not invested in i need somebody to care about this so that way when the shit goes down you go fuck don't oh god why did that person die and like instead you're watching fucking you know hostile or you know cabin fever with you know pancakes and like all this, all this <laughs> stupid crap where you're like, that was remarkably close so dumb. <laughs> yeah 
but yeah, and like I said, that's one of the things that makes it like I said the the, the fly in particular is just like you're so invested in character, and by the end it feels like a tragedy. And like the um, the thing that we were talking about earlier is that Cronenberg kind of equates it to cancer. Like he makes it relatable, and then once Seth realizes that about himself, like I'm dying, like I'm fucking deteriorating. It's funny that his scientist brain kicks in immediately. Like he's not just woe is me, what's happening to me. He's like, I need to understand this. I need to fucking break this down and like figure it out. And then by the time he's to the point where he does fully understand it, it's too late because the fucking the beast has started to take over at that point. You know, the, the fly monster. Yeah. <laughs> right. Frontal fly. Yeah. So we get to like the the best way I surmise this next scene is you know we we have that breakthrough post sex about um uh the stakes and how mm-hmm. we're going to use that to kind of transpose what this is doing to flesh and trying to teach the the computer how flesh works. And it was like, she eats both like, you know, taste test mm-hmm. the steaks next to each other and like gives her opinion, which were fucking awful. Yeah. My favorite was when she grabs the other steak and just pulls it closer and starts eating yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice <laughs> yeah. No, she's like, I'm going to finish this. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, As a chef, I loved the line where, uh, she was tasting the first one. She goes, well, you know, it could use a little bit of finesse, but <laughs> outside of that, it's fine. It does taste like a steak. So we're the, yeah. Um, but she notes that the second one tastes synthetic, which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because synthetic is a great word choice because it implies that there's something that is like on a molecular level happening. I mean, obviously that it, we're splitting atoms and shit, right? <laughs> you know, like we're, right. we're reconstructing things and we can't interpret how it can be like the, the difference between real and not. It's almost like, is it exist. just yeah. adding those mm-hmm. points that it needs to right. fill it in? And it's because the computer right. is interpreting, not reproducing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the big thing that I think he was getting into was just the fact that it's interpreting the, the poetry of yeah. mistake. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it just felt like they had a really fast relationship. Like now they're just having sex. Yeah. They were playing some riveting games of checkers, checkers. back yeah. to back to back to back. Um, and then we, you know, as we have found out, he can't really cook and we get into like this, I guess, like, what's a good department store? Ross, is that a good example for where they were at? Plus or minus. Uh, Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So they're at the Ross and they have like this really, like this scene, I just couldn't stop fucking laughing because you have the department store clerk and on the other side of the desk, you have, um, Gina Davis, and then behind the clerk is just staff that's just like, he's almost like fingering between coats and shit. (laughs) You might as well just give him like sunglasses and like a top hat and just kind of like. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Binoculars. (laughs) He's just crouched behind, like waiting. He's like four feet away from her. Hey, you know, Eric, if you want to talk about this, because I know this was your favorite line and when they start having their uh, their argument. Yeah, I got to find it here. Um, it th- Basically, Veronica, like, confronts Stathis, and the whole thing is like, look, we aren't together anymore. I bear, like, I don't really want to work for you, like, on a professional level anyway. Like, it, you know, it's my body, it's my life. I'm going to sleep wherever I want and that kind of thing. Um, she makes the comment about, um, I'm into something huge right now. And he goes, what, his cock? <laughs> S tier, S tier writing. 
Like, there you go, guys. Perfect writing. Yeah. yeah. Jeff's kiss. It was fantastic. So, yeah. So after the the whole outlet mall thing, like I said, just kind of dedicating, like like we were talking about, like that that whole week of kind of trying to get his feet back underneath him. I, I kind of want to jump to, like I said, like probably one of my favorite scenes is where he where Ronnie goes to kind of confront status and kind of lay down the law and say, this is fucking it. Like, we're done. This is it. We're over. And what that informs Jeff Goldblum to do, because at that point, like I said, he's completely fucking hammered. I think he's drinking wine or whatever it is. It's like shotgunning um, champagne. Yeah. <laughs> right, or champagne, yeah. He's got like a full bottle. He's like under the desk of status boards. And like, and he's just like, and he's so, so like, it's such, a, it's such a jealous boyfriend thing to do to be like, fuck this. You know what? I'm going to do this out of spite now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, and maybe you guys can kind of like give your opinion on it as well. But like, do you feel like that's a great like is that a that's more of a human decision at that point where he's like you know what i'm gonna do this thing that i'm not completely sure of just kind of out of spite yeah that you're not here for that you know i our relationship is kind of taking this weird turn now and we've all kind of done things out of spite when we're tipsy or whatever and you're just like mm-hmm. yeah maybe that's the best decision there jeff goldblum so <laughs> i think for me like this is probably the most human decision he makes the entire time because like if you even want to get into the nitty-gritty of him just like hitting on her at the beginning of this movie that's still like scientifically innate because we as a species want to reproduce so this is the first time he puts himself outside of everything else and just says fuck it and this is a dude who is a scientist who know this is a dude who just turned a baboon inside out like two days right. ago. <laughs> right. Nothing ever, nothing good ever comes from a scientist going, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just try yeah. it. Like <laughs> yeah. that never ends exactly. well on any oh, level. Yeah. 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 yeah I, not I got far like, vibes from that. Like, you know, on the verge of discovery there, I need that, that next hit. I need to make that next breakthrough. Let's take that next step and that kind of thing. And since we established in the beginning of the movie when she was recording him without him knowing and was going to like, yeah, I'm telling the press about this. I work for this magazine. There's always kind of that, like, I'm keeping you at arm's length thing from Mm -hmm. Seth, I think. Um, I think, like you said, he's smitten with her. The sex is awesome. You know, everything of that nature. But he's like, no, you're still, this is still my thing. You're not in my circle. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's his, it's, it's his way of kind of protecting, like I said, what makes him him. I mean, like, it's, it's, I, this is the thing that's special to me. You'll never understand why you'll never understand. You'll never get the full depths of how great I actually am. And I think it's kind of like the, the 80s equivalent of like fucking drunk Facebook posting at that point where he's like, yeah. you know what? This is a great idea. Let's fucking do it right now, you know? Talk about your feelings at 3 a.m. after a 12-er. <laughs> right, exactly. And to be fair, like, I've had I had my share of problems with alcohol, and I'm just like, yeah, I remember those days. And, like, so that's probably, like you're saying, the most human moment where you're like, I, I, can, I understand. I see where the mindset is at that point where you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this out of spite just to fuck you, you know, and maybe you don't get that huge piece because you weren't here for the first time. You were here for the second time. So it's not as special. And maybe that's my way of kind of you know, diminishing returns. Everything else is just but, an old hat yeah. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I've already done this before, but, you know, whatever. So, Mark, so I want to ask you about this. Uh, this scene is how does it make you feel from, from my perspective when I watch this? And again, like the human aspect of this, it doesn't feel 
like he was looking for any form of validation, which is usually what the jealous boyfriend archetype has. But it doesn't seem like he was looking for that even from himself. It was literally just like a case of the buckets. So how do you think that kind of uh, transposes to this character? Well, and I I think the the, from my from my money and again, this is my personal humble opinion. um, I genuinely feel like the fly is it's 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 a bit of fate at that point, but it's actually his id. Like that's to me, that's what it entirely represents because he does it out of spite. He does the entire, he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Like you're saying, he's got the case of the fuck it's where you're just like, you know what? I'm going to do this fucking thing because I want it. And that's mm-hmm. who I am. Yeah. And the fly, once it gets in there and the moment he's out of it, he becomes a different person. Mm-hmm. And so that choice, even if, even if the fly doesn't get in there with him, he's a different person by the time he comes out of that. Mm-hmm. So if you take if you extrapolate that and say, you know what, the fly doesn't get in there with him, but out of spite, he does this thing. He's starting to feed his id, and he's letting his id out a little bit at that point. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, the fly is just a manifestation of that. It's just going, no, I'm going to embody everything that you, all your impulses and everything else that's wrong and that you want selfishly. That's going to start to come out now at this point. So, mm-hmm. and then to me, it just it happens to manifest itself and it starts to you know like i said take shape but to me that's one of the reasons why like i said it even if it was just a human drama at that point mm-hmm. he's a different character he changes completely after that so so would you say that it's fair to think that this is actually the first instance we see of him like you were saying before he even is one with the fly like this is the point where we feel the change in the atmosphere for this character. We kind of see him start to become right. the villain. Yeah. And, and I think, like I said, if this was like a romantic comedy, he would be, this would be the point this. where he cheated on the girl or he did something wrong. And like, that would be the yeah. point in the story where it turns and you just go, Oh, this is not a good, this is kind of an irredeemable act, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, you're watching him willfully break the relationship a little bit not all the way but it's the first hammer into the stone basically at that point where you're like okay i can see where you're you've got some anger issues here and you've got something that is eating away at your core and you're not willing to discuss it like a normal adult would you know Mm -hmm. and it feels like you know getting past this now we kind of like this this next section almost feels like it could have just been a montage. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. of just him doing, you know, the the gymnastic uh, flips he, around. He the was bars. hitting some tough moves too, dude. Like that was. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rear lever. <laughs> I would love to know who his stunt double was I, I, because there yeah. it was funny. Like, and this was actually kind of genius from Cronenberg. Uh, just the way that that scene is shot, where first of all it felt like Oliver Queen. In the yeah. salmon ladder, just like, <laughs> just doing flips and this crazy shit. But the way Cronenberg shot the scene where he was flipping around the water pipes in his studio apartment, which is just fucking insane to me to begin with, he is like, it's shot from behind probably about a three-foot-wide post yeah. or support <laughs> beam. So you never actually see his face. You just see these fucking stops uh, every time. Dimly lit. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Laura came out and she was like, was that Jeff Goldblum? I was like, no. Yeah. I, I, my head cannon wants to believe that Jeff Goldblum can rip 10 muscle-ups in a row without any problem. 
it was very Kevin Bacon and Footloose at that point, where it's like all of a sudden he's just in silhouette. You're like, um, I don't think that's the same guy, but, yeah. but you know what? I don't know. I it could be. Who knows? R- remind me to tell you later about my Kevin Bacon thing. Uh- <laughs> That sounds ominous. I don't know if I want to know about the Kevin Bacon thing. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> but now I kind of do. <laughs> so anyways, uh, we get to, you know, his sex drive is higher. He's better, faster, stronger. And we get to this coffee scene, which like makes me i drink my coffee black to begin with unless i haven't eaten that day if i haven't eaten i'll put like oat milk or something in it mm-hmm. you know just to make sure i'm not losing the coffee as fast as i'm drinking it <laughs> but what we had the processing power on this man <laughs> the the mound of sugar that was going yeah, into yeah. that it like you just think back to like men in black where he's just like sugar sugar water Urgh. Sugar. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you feel like. It's <laughs> it very was, Tarantino. Like, I'm yeah. going to put a ton of sugar in my coffee and like, I'm going to be super caffeinated and super hyper. I was waiting for the tube to come out of his mouth and just like <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> He's like, oh, dear God, what was that? I'm so sorry. That, <laughs> I'm that sorry my awful. mouth fell out. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And like now he's kind of turning into an asshole and this is kind of like the first time like you know he's pounding on the table and as someone who's been in the service industry for a long time if somebody banged the table to get service i would fuck you up (laughs) so anyways we start to even get like this skin augmentation it's not like jaundice or anything but we start to get like these very the way cronenberg like progresses his skin is awesome mm-hmm. because in this scene it's not quite like meth head yet like he gets later but you do get that like those striations yeah the little bit of browning yeah. like it was like yeah. if you were looking for it you saw it immediately and then you yeah. get the progression throughout the rest of the film yeah and i love the fact like i said it, it, it's treated like i said very delicately like it's it's um it's almost like he's got his first drug at that point like seth does and he's not used to the 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 intensity of it so obviously like i said he's trying to process it and he's and he's going really fast and everything else but then by the time he gets to a little bit further in the progression that's when he's able to kind of separate himself from the from what's actually happening internally but yeah like i love the fact that it's treated like a cancer patient like you don't see like if someone's dying it starts from the inside out and you don't see all those effects until way later but right now if you're looking for it like you're saying you've got those little tiny subtle things going on and like his makeup he's a little bit sweaty or he's not kind of like and everything just feels a little off and you're like i can't put my finger on it obviously we're in a movie called the fly but (laughs) you're like there's something like i can see it happening already yeah but i can see it happening so yeah we actually have the return of uh veronica or Mm -hmm. ronnie in this case uh and we start to kind of have this conversation he's like you need to go through because i feel fucking amazing you know he starts gaslighting her and she's just like i don't want to do that first of all we've tested it on a baboon that's currently inside out 
one that's miraculously survived, and you that looks like, you know, you have browning yeah. spots on you. Right. <laughs> You're looking a little splotchy right, right now. Yeah. And he starts, he really does start just acting like a meth head, because yeah, he's yeah. just like, you have to do it. You have to be part of this with me. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny, like I said, because it feels like that's, like I said, the, the id, for, for lack of a better phrase, is starting to, like, push through and, like, be his dominant characteristic at, at all time now. And I love that, like I said, where you can, she's starting to pull back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And even if, like I said, the, the relationship could maybe be salvaged, but more than likely they're going to just go their separate ways. But she's starting to notice as well that, like, there, there's something fucking going wrong here. And I, I don't <laughs> quite know what it is. I'm not at your level to figure it out, but I can tell just from human perspective, you're not well, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will say, I think it is completely the right word, especially because later <laughs> later in the movie, he makes the comment, I think I know what it wants now. He's been communicating right. with it. It does have a level of control over him. Not, yeah. yeah, not just the metamorphosis, yeah. but he is actually connecting with what feels like another being inside of himself, which is right. Like, like an entirely separate crazy fucking subplot for this movie. <laughs> right. Like what does that dynamic feel like inside of his head? Like is, is he hearing another voice or is it just like this core thing that's like just he just knows or, you know, how does it manifest itself in his head? And I, you're absolutely right. I think it's it's so brilliantly done, like I said, because you can see it kind of controlling him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then once he realizes, like I said, once he starts to kind of fall apart, the scientist brain kicks back in. And it's this weird tug of war for the mm. rest of the movie where it's like, no, which which one's actually in control right now? Is it Brundle? Is it the fly? Or is it like you're saying this brand new thing that he's become this other thing? And like I said, I think the movie does that so fucking well and it walks that line. But this is that first this is kind of the end of that first section where he's really kind of at its mercy in a weird way, but it, it's not fully mm-hmm. in control of him yet, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's a lot of like these duality stories like that is like these two fighting against each other for supremacy, which yeah. obviously one has the genetics on its yeah. side to fucking win this battle. <laughs> but there's there's right. something a little bit seductive to it too, for him, I think, because he's he woke up and he was an Olympic level gymnast. You know what I mean? There's something that's so sexy about that that he refuses to curse it. He's that's still the sexy. He was he's, talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's completely sold on the concept, but he's starting to understand that there's more to it than just he was. He believed he was purified initially. Mm-hmm. He believed that this was I've come out and I'm clean, like almost like a baptism kind of vibe, mm-hmm. right? He even references like uh, wax messianic yeah. concepts and that kind of thing. My electrons are positively yeah. charged now. <laughs> and, and I love that. Like I said, it's it's one of those things where he makes that mistake of like drinking from the well and being like, holy shit, I, I'm a better person than I ever been. And he's got that initial wave of endorphins and everything and where he's just like, no, everything is amazing and everything. And he doesn't quite know how to wrangle it in yet. And then all of a sudden, like you said, he starts to separate from it and just go, wait a second. Like, this is something different. And and I don't know what this is, you know? Yeah, because we're because now we kind of start to really have the dissension because we move into the bar scene that we were talking a little bit about earlier where he comes in yeah. and he <laughs> he honestly starts acting like status because he's just yeah. like. Hundred bucks right. says I win and I get to bring the girl home and she's like fucking says I get to, who <laughs> I get to fuck her if I, if I beat you in arm right. wrestling. 
And it's such a it's such a macho scene. And like I said, and that's the first time that you really see him kind of throw his dick on the table, basically. And you're just like, <laughs> oh, this is a different guy. He's not wearing a shirt. He's got a fucking jacket on. And you're like, and that's literally it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, we bring Comfort Girl home and Tawny. Tawny. That's yeah. what it was, was Tawny. We br- she I said that too when I was watching. I was like, you look like a fucking Tawny. <laughs> <laughs> Because she had like the Tawny Katane hair from the White Snake video. <laughs> Do not judge that. Don't judge the Tawny Katane. I love Tawny Katane. I don't... Okay, good. All right. Yeah, no, no, no. I would have, as we said earlier, blown the back out. But like. Cervix, cervix, cervix. All right, that's three. I will be, I will be her. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so we have like them waking up. I guess waking up because I when they got to the house and they got out of the car because she said on, when they left the initial bar, let's hit a few more before we go home. And it's like daybreak when they get home. Right. So right. I guess they like I don't know if that was like an immersion breaking thing where like it was supposed to be midnight still and that's just light pollution or what. But she essentially like they go upstairs, have sex, and then he's just like. I'd like to show you my teleporter. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, are we having breakfast or? <laughs> yeah. I think it's been like a marathon of sex where she's like, I'm fucking tired. I can't do this anymore. Right. So I like to think that apparently flies just have incredible sexual stamina because that's clearly something he got from the fly. They don't have a lifespan, so they got to get it all in. I was going to so. say, I think it's a ratio thing. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you're having sex, sex for three seconds of one day, right. How does that look compared to like, 85 years (laughs) right exactly and it's funny that we get the same parallel with uh ronnie showing back up like i guess she has a key and and here's the line and here's the line right be afraid be very afraid (laughs) one of the greatest lines ever in the history of horror movies or in movies in general it's one of the best ones yeah Yeah, 100 percent um mine comes a little bit later with stathis but yeah yeah, yeah. Then we kind of have this communication breakdown. She leaves again. And then we start to have the shaving cream scene, which felt like it took a lot from the original Poltergeist as far as like special effects were concerned. Because we have like, you know, the teeth coming out, parts of the skin peeling off. We have this like fucked up amalgamation. Mm-hmm. It felt really Toby Hooper for being a Cronenberg right. scene. You know, yeah, and I yeah. thought that was really That's cool. Point. And you know, we have the well actually my partner walked around the corner and she was like, no, don't don't pull your nails off. Don't do that. Oh. And it's so juicy too. Like you have to appreciate that. You're like, that is disgusting. Like just dripping <laughs> everywhere. And then of course, you know, we have this meltdown from uh Seth and he goes to the computer and the computer's like I don't know what the fuck to tell you, dude. We did, <laughs> we did fusion. You you said to teleport. There were two things in. You didn't accommodate for this. We're fusion now. <laughs> it's right. like, well, what do I do? I don't know. Unfuse. <laughs> Siri's being a fucking over. asshole at that point. Mention. 1980s Siri is a dick. <laughs> i didn't even think about that as being siri that's so funny because <laughs> later it's like voice is not recognized yeah, yeah. god damn it siri <laughs> i like to think about it, like having like uh, plankton's computer wife's voice mm-hmm. from spongebob you know <laughs> voice isn't recognized <laughs> so we, we get into uh the four weeks later yeah. and it's one of the things I was telling Eric about this movie that I loved was we did not only get one 
but two abortion scenes in one movie. <laughs> right. That's Carver going, you know what? I got something extra up my sleeve. And he's like, oh, Jesus Christ, we're going to do two of them? Okay. Because <laughs> we have the first one, because uh, we get the call, and it's one of those things where she now knows what's going on. Um, right. And she's talking to Stathis in the office. And this was my favorite part was they're about to go get the first abortion. Was it the, it might've been the first, it might've been the second one. I can't quite remember. It was either the first or the second abortion she was going to get. She's having the conversation with Stathis and they're about to leave to go get it. And she, she, he just goes, so after this is all over, do I get to lay claim to that again? Yeah. <laughs> do I have permission to claim your body? There is no part <laughs> of this movie where Stathis is not trying to slam that. He is the unrelenting mm-hmm. force of poon slaying. <laughs> we often question motives in our villains. <laughs> not this time. <laughs> like literally on the way out of Planned Parenthood, Stathis is like, so like a week? Like what are we what are we doing here? Are we waiting? <laughs> How long are we waiting? What are we doing here? That was a big larva, is all I'm going to say. <laughs> that thing is so, like, I appreciate, one, I appreciate the fact that the doctor that's pulling it out is fucking Cronenberg. Like, that's him <laughs> under the fucking, like, the little mask. But the fact, like I said, that that is a big, huge puppet that they're just fucking walking around with. But I've shown that um, over the years, and I can tell you why I was single for a long time. I would watch this movie <laughs> with girls, and I'm just like, I'm just waiting for that. And they're just like, uh, uh, never mind. No, no. That is the one thing, like not the vomit, not anything else, not the jaw coming off. That scene is the one that grosses every girl that I've ever watched it out with. And I'm like, good. Well, and I loved Cronenberg's writing for himself too. in that scene where he was just like, Oh my God, there's more. They're like, there's, there's more. Lot. There's a lot more. I'm going to push this out. I'm going to need you to push in this abortion. Come on. You can do it. Stathis needs to get back in there. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger vacuum. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've gotten the visceral aspect of the abortion out of the way, we we do get back to, okay, it was all a dream. She read right. Particle Magazine. Hey, hey, hey all right. <laughs> I'm back in the real world. Yeah, exactly. exactly what we do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and now we get back to what we were talking about with Siri does not recognize your voice and yeah, he's just yeah. like God fucking damn it <laughs> God fucking damn it he puts a, a pencil in his mouth and it like it causes the teeth to fall out and he, <laughs> he like grabs him and goes to his little like relic room in the medicine cabinet and everything <laughs> like, the history museum of what is it Brundle's history museum <laughs> I I don't know why they weren't dated and maybe they were and I just didn't pay attention to it but part of me wanted there to be like a timeline of events going on in the medicine cabinet I don't know but yeah I love the fact that his fucking like his dick is on the fucking counter as well like it's in there and you're like wow he's really falling apart Barry it's fine is that your baboon yeah 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 yeah. he's about to be baboon number two (laughs) run run don't tell him that he's fast as fuck we, we <laughs> clocked we clocked him at like one of the th- things running at like almost 30 miles an hour yeah you're not catching him <laughs> you're oh, not catching. We, we've tried to he got out during fucking vacation one time and there were a bunch of feral cats on the island the only reason that we got him was because he came he chose to come back to us <laughs> he's like all right they have food it's fine <laughs> that's how you knew it was love Right. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so now this kind of leads into 
abortion number two, weirdly enough. Like, we kind of, like, streamlined through, right? Yep. Um, we have this really cool sequence. There, I, I don't have the – I don't know why I didn't write the complete line down, but he's having the conversation with Ronnie about um, I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. And it goes yeah. on to say, I'll hurt you mm-hmm. if I stay. So we're seeing the human side of him die, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where he's talking about, and that's that's probably one of my favorite little bits there, is where he's talking about insect politics. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> they have no politics because they're fucking brutal, and they're, they're, there's no line that they won't cross. Like, they will fucking kill you, and they will murder you. And to see him understand that and get that concept and go, okay, like, as a scientist, this is fascinating. This is what I'm turning into. And then in that line, like I said, where he tells Ronnie, he's like, you need to go because I'm going to hurt you. Like you can see that's the kind of line right there where the, the insect just goes, all right, I'll take it from here. That's yep. fine. You know, and just <laughs> the movie takes its turn into that third act at that point. You're like, wow, this is going to get dark real fucking quick. So and at this point, she has uh, completely sold not keeping the baby. There was that debate that was going mm-hmm. on. Stathis is waiting outside. You you want to go have an abortion right now? Yeah, right the fuck now. I don't it's care if you have to set it up, whatever we're doing now. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of it, I guess. We kind of move into. Um... Yeah, there's some back and forth for her continuously returning, like when he's like on the ceiling for one scene and he's like, well, not it's not all bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but we have yeah. that like the the we're having the abortion and he breaks through the glass and take we have that monster movie moment where mm-hmm. the monster right. kidnaps the girl. Right. And just carries her away. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it, that that's like a. That's probably like one of my favorite little bits there. Um, and when Stathis kind of comes in and he looks out the window, it's kind of like you're saying, like very medieval. And there's a lot of moments that come from, like I said, other monster movies. Like I said, the, the girl out the window and like for lack of a better term for Stathis at that point, he is the knight. Like he's our default knight in shining armor. Where like he looks out, the, he looks out the castle window and he's like, I'm going to go rescue the girl. And, you know, he's got that moment and that's what he that's what he goes into that, you know, to Seth's apartment at the very end. But again, by no means is he a, a good person, but at that point he's doing the right thing, you know? And you're like, you've got some semblance of a decent barometer of like the right thing to do. You've got that within you. You just choose not to do it, you know? And with the current uh, political climate, that sounds like a great social commentary yeah. <laughs> right now, is he was right. doing the right thing. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? And that's like, as we're kind of talking about it, and it's it's really funny to me, is that that's where the, the, the dynamic of the hero and the villain kind of flip, where Seth was the good guy. Stathis, it was very clear in the first act. Like, mm-hmm. Stathis is a shit heel, and you're like, I want this guy to fucking die. Now, at this point, Seth is he's aware of what is happening and he's powerless to stop it. So he's he can't. Stathis understands that he's a shitheel, but he's choosing to be the right to do the right thing and be the guy that's going to be the hero. And so you're like, you've got the shitheel doing the right thing. So he's got a moral compass and the hero is powerless to become the villain. Like he he can't stop himself from becoming the villain. You're like, it's such gray area. And you're like. I, I don't know how I feel about half of this, you know, we're even sort to this of day. pivoting around Veronica, aren't we? Mm-hmm. You know, it, we're right. kind of like, she's, she's where she is. Right. Um, yeah. So he is there, he's assembling his gun and um, 
Brundlefly, as we'll refer to him from now on, mm-hmm. breaks through, right. you know, tackles him, the vomiting, the um, corrosive enzyme, as it were, that allows him to digest his food on the hand. Yeah. For you were mentioned earlier about that being one of your favorite effects <laughs> in the. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so funny. Like when you watch it, like when you watch it broken down as just an effect, you're like, all right, that's cool, I get it. Like it's this time lapse, you know, melting photography thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But John gets his performance in it. Like anytime, like I can't. Even when I was a kid, I couldn't watch people process pain, like because I'm very sympathetic. Like I, I, sure. I have a, a a thing where I'm just like, I can feel what you're feeling already. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's one of those things where like it's it's the same thing that happens with like Murphy and RoboCop when like they're just torturing the shit out of him just to torture him. You're like, I can feel every bit of pain and anger that like everything that's happening to you. So John gets performance in that moment. Like I said, it's just like it's the shock. And what's what I love about movies like this are you've you've already had that foreshadowing and you've already had that guy. He knows what's happening mm-hmm. because he's watched the video before, you know, when when Veronica gives him the the tape about, you know, Seth eating and he's demonstrating what's happening. They're both scientists. They both understand what's happening. So when that happens to, to Stathis, you're like. And you know exactly why this is happening. Like you understand what's happening in your body. I'm like, it makes it even worse. Like even just on an interior level, you're like, ah, I can't. For sure. It, it makes me gag. But it's so good though. And then it goes to the to the fucking foot, and I'm just like, yeah. Now you're just being brutal, dude. Like there's no reason Double for leg. that. Yeah. I definitely think that that was a like the last piece of humanity was literally in that because that was such a jealous boyfriend thing to do because yeah. it wasn't going to kill him. It was just going right. to fuck his foot up and he would never walk on that This foot. is what we call playing with your food. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you know what? It's, it's, it's one of those things that like I didn't realize it when I was a kid because I was so kind of like grossed out and being like, oh, God, Jesus Christ. But like the the moment he vomits on Stathis's hand and Stathis is screaming, there's one close up and it's maybe a second or two, but it's Seth going, Shh, like, don't scream because she's yeah. going to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> it's such a shitty moment where you're like, you're a terrible person now. And, and again, like when he throws up on the foot and kind of starts to work it off and you're just like, now you're just causing pain just to cause pain and it's hurting even me now, you know, but it's such a good, like it's character development, even in the grossest sense, it's character development because he was never that at the beginning, you know, but now you're watching him enjoy this and you're like, fuck you and your stupid id that's kind of coming out and taking over everything, you know? So he believes he's an apex predator now and he's going to take what he wants and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So he, he moves towards the head and sure enough, like he's about to do the vomit drop on the face and everything. And Ronnie shows up in the nick of time. They have a little bit of a scuffle. He drops the line where he says, help me be human. Mm-hmm. The idea now is to go back to the um, gene splicing idea to put a pure human in with him and we can minimize the fly. Technically one and a quarter. Right. Yeah. One and a quarter. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Right. He know, well, he does know that because she did tell him at that point. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're yeah. totally right. Because he even says, you, me, and the baby will be a perfect family. You, me, and the baby. (laughs) Yeah, in one perfect fucking family, you know. (laughs) A nuclear family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So then, you know, uh, Stathis does have your white knight moment like you were talking about. He takes the shotgun and he fucking blows the cord out. And, of course, like, he's fucked up, (laughs) so he falls down. Gina Davis escapes. 
and now we have the pinnacle that this whole movie mm-hmm. has been leading up to. And you almost feel yep. like you almost feel the fly say, help me. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm a Cronenberg right. creation. Yeah. I want to die. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was just going to say like, that is probably like, we haven't talked about it too much, but his effort and his, his contribution can't be minimized. But that's the point where Howard Shore's music just fucking soars and just mm-hmm. kicks yeah. in completely. It, it becomes a different movie at that point. It becomes a fucking opera. And you're just like the the entire end of the movie could happen with and it does pretty much happen without dialogue. And you're just watching this fucking operatic thing happen. It's like a Greek tragedy. And you're just like, mm-hmm. I can't not look at this. And the music is swelling and it's sad and it's got angst. And you're just like. This is fucking this is what movies are about right here in this entire sequence, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of where like a lot of the rush in this movie kind of felt for me was like it felt like it was just trying to get to this point Mm. as fast as it could, you know, because this is like the apex of everything that Cronenberg was trying to do. And I respect like wanting to show that off. And I just feel like they could have savored this movie a little bit more, at least. for Then we get that beautiful, beautiful shotgun blast. For kill, kill number, number one, one. kill go. number fucking one, Doctor Sad. Right. Via. Do we do we count the baboon? No. <laughs> we okay. only count. Right. We, we only count household pets like Sadie <laughs> and the Conjuring, which quite Fair frankly, enough. Marley and me have the same kill have the same kill count as the Conjuring, and, and that's, that's a, a fucking problem. That's yeah. a fucking problem. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> And um, to be fair, I never thought of Marley and me having a fucking kill count. But now that I have, <laughs> thank you. I'm like, wow, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah, you can, you can chew on that today while you're editing. Appreciate it, guys. And then we just kind of have this, credits. like, yeah, hard cut to credits. Mm. And that's our yeah. movie. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, so there's, no, Mark- there's no point in, like, staying with anything. Like, you don't need to see the aftermath. You don't need, no, this, that's it. We're done. That's the movie. Mark, we'll start with you. So uh, go ahead and give us your final thoughts. Give us your uh, scaling of this movie on a one to 10. And obviously you'd watch it again. Obviously you'd recommend it to a friend. You recommended it to us. Um, But yeah, what what are you thinking for this movie? Um, Honestly, like I said, out of a scale of one to 10, I'd say the fly for me is always about a nine out of 10. Um, But you're absolutely right. Like there's, to me, it always feels like the beginning is a little slow and that's my personal estimation. But I always feel like the the beginning, like the first 15 minutes or so, it's it's laying the groundwork of the movie. It's kind of saying this is where we're going to go. But the moment the first baboon kind of, you know, hits up against the glass, like you're off in the races at that point. You're you're kind of at Cronenberg's, you know, mercy. Um, (laughs) It's 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 definitely out of the 80s in general, like out of 80s movies is in my top three, like hand down. Hell yeah. um, and that whole movies, that's the the thing, the fly. I mean, like I said, there's, there's a whole mess of others, but this has always been one of the ones when anybody has asked me, like, what informs me, not just as a, a filmmaker, but like someone who's drawn to visual effects and makeup effects. This is the one that I'm like, that's the one that kind of fucked me up a little bit, too, guys. So like <laughs> but in the greatest way possible between this, the thing and, and RoboCop, you know. Eric, what about yourself? Yeah, I'm going to lean into a seven on this one. I think that that's partially to do with what my first impression was and maybe that I haven't had enough time to chew on this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so we'll see. I don't know. A, yeah. a year from now, I'll revisit it and I may, yeah. you know, amend my rating. Um, I think that what really stood out to me about this movie, and you drew attention to it at the very beginning of this, Mark, where you were talking about how this could have been pulled off in the theater, right? To a degree, right? right? We have right. a small cast. We have like two stages, <laughs> two settings, yeah. right? and it <laughs> yeah. is completely narr- the narrative is driven by the dialogue and the acting, which were astou- astounding for this movie for me. I mean, I had uh-huh. a lot of fun watching everybody's performance. I think everybody carried in an equally like thirty three point three percent kind of way. Um, the writing was was perfect. Um, it's just the pacing issues for me. It's just some inconsistencies with. Some of the lines maybe didn't hit so hard. Maybe, you know, a couple of plot points that I just am not buying into. I'm not sold yeah. on something like that. You know, me being super nitpicky. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just don't give out tens. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. I'll be honest yeah. with you. We, we don't give out tens on this show. Like, like, no. You're saying you're I not a whore this. like me, right? I just give it out to everybody. Yeah. Well, like Mozart's a 10, right? So is the, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and for for me, like I, I'd also rate this movie a seven, just because like for me, as far as the pacing's concerned, like yes, the the baboon like kind of helped everything continue to like further a little bit as far as like build, building this world that we're trying to build for terror. But honestly, the first hour of this movie had like this really weird effect on me where everything felt really rushed, but at the same time, like we weren't really establishing a lot that we hadn't already established Mm -hmm. and part of it too for me was the fact that staphis was a character that was it almost comes across as like an it's almost an ancillary character and it felt like there were scenes that were put in to make sure that he was still a part of it like the the The, uh the store yeah the outlet scene where like like you could have left taken or left that scene and it would have been the same movie you know, and it, yeah. and I enjoyed his character a lot. He had a lot of great lines, and actually, that scene gave us the huge cock line, <laughs> <I know. laughs> which was great. But it was one of those things where, like, it kind of fell that fell a little bit flat for me, just in the general making mm-hmm. of it. And like, quite frankly, you know, Reservoir Dogs is my favorite movie, and that's still an eight for me. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, like I said, I think there's something to be said for. Cronenberg in general, and again, this is just my personal opinion, sometimes, depending on the material, his directorial style does tend to be a very flat and presentational, mm-hmm. and it doesn't allow for a lot of coverage, and just and, and that's that's fine. That's that's his personal working style. Yeah. But sometimes, even in the fly, and even as someone who appreciates it as much as I do, I can step out of it and go, yeah, no, that's totally fair criticism, where it's just kind of like, this is a little slow, this is a little stilted, this is a little kind of wonky, but... I've seen it so many times at this point. I'm like, but yeah. I still love it. You know, that's just my thing. But but I can completely appreciate that opinion on that. Yeah, it's not like a Yelp review where it's like <laughs> everything was absolutely delicious and the service was great. Parking was shit. Yeah. One star. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of our final thoughts on the movie. But uh, why don't you tell us about your project coming out this year, Wolf Hollow. I know we're really excited for it. We just talked to uh, Special oh, Madison dude. a little yeah. bit about it. Um, and I'll go ahead and predicate this now. Um, as far as monsters are concerned, werewolves are absolutely my favorite. So I am so fucking hyped. Your, your costume for the main werewolf looked amazing. I really loved a lot of the, the pictures that I saw of Spencer Madison and hers. Like, tell us... 
how 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 are you going to get butts and seats? Because we need to get this happening. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm going to get butts and seats by coming on podcasts and stuff like that, such as this show. So hey. um, that'll be the first step. But the yeah, Wolf Hollow, like I said, was was I, I'm not sure if you guys uh, were familiar with like Massacre Academy. We did uh, an 80s slasher before, and we were kind of at the end of that one. We were doing the editing process. And so I had the idea for Wolf right about that time. And I was like, I'm going to put this on the back burner for a little bit and I'm going to come back to it. And so this has actually kind of evolved into probably the most personal story that I've ever told as a filmmaker. Um, There's a lot of familial things going on there. But at the end of the day, choosing werewolves, I know that an audience is expecting transformations, a lot of gore. And again, being a fan of the 80s, I'm like, I will deliver on every fucking one of those things uh, right from the beginning. <laughs> so I, I tried not to I went into Wolf not wanting to pull any punches. And I, I made a promise to myself. I was like, I'm going to be the exact filmmaker that I want to be pass or fail, whatever my my leanings are with, you know, editing too fast or, or going too slow. Sometimes I'm going to lean into everything that I do well. Um, so within the first, yeah, within the first four minutes of the movie, I'm, I did the count the other day. Within the first four minutes of the movie, we've got 25 on the kill count. Holy! <laughs> so that, in and of itself, I was just like, yeah, we're doing pretty well. And like I said, that's my, that's a point of pride for me because again, like I said, and being a fan of the '80s, and again, they're not just you know kills out of nowhere like these are kind of earned and you're like nope we're gonna we're gonna go pretty hard and that's my way like i said like a like a filmmaker giving their thesis statement i'm like i'm gonna show you some shit like we're gonna i'm gonna put you in the middle of some gory fucking shit here and we don't let up so yeah so like i said so there's this is probably the highest kill count i think we end up about 43 44 so like you're gonna see some shit so (laughs) talk murder to me jesus christ (laughs) well like i said we've we've got one and i'm not going to spoil it here okay but there and you may have seen exactly so you may have seen some stills on my instagram or if you go to the wolf hollow official movie instagram um there's some pictures of one particular character who's kind of missing an arm um and that's played by Brandon Crum. I don't know if you guys have ever talked to Brandon. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely fucking amazing. But he's done a lot of movies. This is our first movie together, or our second movie together. But that's the tip of the iceberg. I'm just going to leave it at that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so some spiciness for this fucking exclusive Patreon interview here in a minute, guys. Like, yeah. if you really want to, if you want to know what's about to go down in Wolf Hollow. Yeah. First of all, it's $3 a month. Shit. Come on now. And, and this is like to listen to our big interviews between Mark this Tennessee and Tennessee Gatorade <laughs> I'm holding in my hand costs more than ever Patreon. And I, actually, with gas prices back up, it is still less to subscribe to us for a month than it is to get a gallon of gas. So there you go. Might as well. It's money yeah. well spent. And you know, if there's other tiers. You guys help yourself. Everything's in, like all the information's on the website. But we'll keep talking about Wolf Hollow for a minute. One of the big questions that I had for Spencer that she kind of answered, but she wasn't quite sure what she could talk about, but she couldn't. Uh, So I'll make sure that I'm asking you. So there's obviously a lot of different lineages for how lycanthropy works. 
do, do you see this as you transform during the full moon or is this more of like an animagus where you can kind of just like bam werewolf the the discussion that we had because there there's a lot of discussions that we had um and my wife surprisingly enough like she's a huge like anita blake fan so like she kind of reads oh, cool. all those books and so i i know what my personal take is on werewolves and i was like okay so can this be a thing if I went down this road? Is this like a sleepwalk or like a shapeshifter thing versus this versus that? And so we had a lot of conversations like that. So for my money, and again, for Wolf Hollow, the way that I'm actually approaching werewolves is the stronger and the, the older that they are, the, the stronger they've been, and they can actually kind of turn it on and turn it off. Um, so now, like granted, the, the full moon, right. And so like the, the, the full moon does allow for, even more intensified, you know, versions of that. But for my money in the movie, it's I've got the ability to do this thing and I can control if I can control it, if I'm strong enough, I can control when and where it happens. But if I want to let this full thing just take control, I'm just going to give into it and it's going to come right out. You know, fucking love that. I, I fucking love, I love that. a level up system in our yeah. werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> right. And to me, like I said, it was it was the nicest thing because again speaking to character it's one of those things where you're like no i want to have this person have a bit more control i want to have this person have a bit more intensity i want to and so the people that are turning into the wolves you're like they've got control and they can kind of and it's if you pay close enough attention like sometimes it's usually just right under the surface for them and you know to me i think that's the important thing about making a werewolf movie is that it's not just about the gags and and all that it's no, what does the wolf represent for them? You know, why are they, you know, kind of using this thing? Are they using this thing or are they just kind of cursed by it? And, you know, what's the, what's the proper way to you know, kind of approach each person? So. so a question I have for you, just to, if you're willing to give a little taste here for what could be in the Patreon content later, can you tell us what your favorite special effect was that you got to use on set? Or is that kind of behind curtains right now? Uh... My favorite, <laughs> there is, um, yeah, there's one particular gag. I, I won't go into it here. Um, Ooh, still spicy. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you, like I said, Patreon, I'll give you quite a bit. He's done this um, <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, <laughs> we're going to cut them everybody off. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there is one particular gag towards the end of the movie that, like I said, is probably the bloodiest thing that I've ever done. And I, I will leave it at that. So, and I, and I've, I've done some shit, but it's the bloodiest thing that I've ever done. So. Well, to give them just a little bit more, what color do you like your blood to be? There's a lot of blood out there. There's right. There, yeah. <laughs> there were, there were, there were levels that we actually had where it was like more arterial red, and 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 some of them were just like, no, we're gonna go, we're gonna go full, uh, giallo horror, like just pastel red like i mean like evil dead 2 like oh, cartoon <laughs> and so some of those things depending on where we were shooting um like at the beginning of the movie there is uh like a campfire and, and again that's our opening sequence and I'm, I'm not spoiling anything by saying that um but there's a campfire sequence and that's where most of everything like the carnage at the beginning happens and so some of that stuff even in those days like i said uh, on those days we were deciding, okay, do we want more red because it's going to be backlit by fire so that way it really shows up? Or how how do we want to approach that? So to me, I enjoy seeing 
bright red blood. Like to me, it's just it's it kind of speaks to like, no, I'm a film fan first. You know, I, I want it to be kind of, you know, just kind of slightly goofy. But, you know, we're not making we're not making Shakespeare. Or, you know, we're not trying to go too high. Right. But. No, which is super exciting. And quite frankly, uh, for this Patreon interview, that opening scene is what I'm most excited to talk to you about, because I got a little bit of insight from Spencer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Conceptually, I'm not going to ruin it for them because they need to fucking pay us three dollars to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Pay your money and we'll see you on the Patreon. You heard it from Mike Cantu himself, everybody. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about for this movie before we uh, wrap it up? Um, so we've got the premiere coming up April 1st, 2023. Uh, we're going to be here in Dormont, PA, um, which is just five, ten minutes outside of downtown Pittsburgh. Um, like I said, we'll be at the Hollywood Theater. Tickets are on sale right now through Eventbrite. So if you just go to Eventbrite um, and type in Wolf Hollow, tickets for the premiere are $25. That's a red carpet premiere. We have door prizes. We've got copies of the movie that are going to be on sale. Q&A. We've, <laughs> we've got Lynn Lowry who's going to be there with us. So walk the red carpet, buy your ticket, and get to – we've also got some a VR experience that's going to be attached to Holy the premiere. <laughs> so – yeah, so that's that's definitely part of our that's that's in the mix for us. Yeah, you guys couldn't see my jaw drop for that. We're <laughs> <laughs> working that's... with a, a friend of ours. Like he's 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 out of Connecticut, uh, and like the work that they do is just absolutely incredible. They're doing the 3D model of the the werewolf right now. So yeah, it's it's amazing. Oh my god, I am so excited for this fucking movie, guys, and y'all all should be too. If you're in the Pennsylvania area, make sure that you are getting tickets to this fucking event. $25 is nothing. That is nothing for having an event like this. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be so much fun. I wish we could go and we wish you the best of luck. That's going to be, again, it's just, it just sounds like so much fun. I'm like, do we, do we road trip it? (laughs) (laughs) So if you want, like I said, and because you guys are so wonderful to us, like I will send you the link once we're done with the actual edit, I will send you the link. Holy shit. (laughs) And for everybody listening right now, make sure you're following us on Instagram. Make sure you're following uh, Wolf Hollow official on Instagram as well. Uh, That way you'll see everything that's coming out because we're going to continue to make sure that we're putting out all information that we see from you guys. That way everybody knows how they can stream, buy, watch, however, um, because we love supporting this community and it's so much fun to have you on. Mark, you've been absolutely fucking incredible. Let's clap it up one more time. My pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Eric's our sound effects guy, in case you haven't noticed yet. (laughs) (laughs) And one more for the record, cervix. (laughs) (laughs) Had to get it in. (laughs) Oh, we're getting it in. (laughs) Blow that back out. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us on one of my favorite episodes so far of Under the Floorboards, where it creaks and cracks and we laugh at the creatures that go bump in the night. My pleasure, guys.